This is the Old Republic Podcast. Spoiler warning for the Knights of the Old Republic series, Star Wars, The Old Republic, and all other media. This is where the fun begins. Let's remind the Jedi what happens when the weak seek to match metal with the Dark Lords of the Sith. Sir, from the surviving officer's reports, Lord Revan has gone down with the ship. He's still alive. Alright, so I guess, Brian, uh, you made it through part two of the Star Wars Heresies, interpreting the themes, symbols, and philosophies of episodes one, two, and three by Paul F. MacDonald. Mm-hmm. I did, yeah. I just finished up the Attack of the Clones section. Uh, This was like my own personal hero's journey was getting through uh, the second section because for some reason it took me a really long time to get through it. I don't really know why. Um, I mean, it's only like 50 pages long or something, uh, so it's not even like that much uh, content, but... um, we're, we're going to kind of talk about all the all the sections and I think maybe a little bit of why I kept kind of dropping off on it. I wasn't as, uh, you know, steadfast in reading it as I was the first part, um, but I did find the second part enjoyable. And I think there were a lot of good themes and stuff to to touch on. Um, and, you know, we talked about kind of the first section and a little bit of the background of the book um, in a previous episode where we talked about the heresies of the Phantom Menace. Uh, so go uh, check that out if you want uh, kind of the heresy background there and a little bit more info about the book. Yeah, um, there's a lot that happens in Attack of the Clones, like, mythically and character-wise. Like, so much ground is covered in that movie, and so much ground could have been covered. Like, we talked about how in Attack of the the Clones they did film some Order 66 stuff. Uh, which mm-hmm. I'm so glad they didn't include because that would have just been way too much for one movie. But yeah, a lot of ground is covered, like character-wise. But it's almost like in episode one you have the setup, and then in uh, three you have the payoff. But mm-hmm. yeah, so like middle chapters like can be kind of nebulous sometimes. So. Yeah, I think that was kind of my my bigger struggle here with this section. Um, you know, the the Phantom Menace section um, did an amazing job of kind of highlighting these mythical ties that uh, the characters and the story beats had, and I wasn't finding those as much here in the second section. Um, and partly, I think that's due to the fact that you know it's a lot of the same characters, so it's a lot of you know kind of the kind of the same you know, conclusions and mythical ties and, um, you know, stuff like that. So uh, it was a little bit less of that, and it was more of just kind of uh, telling of the story, which I still found interesting, but I didn't find it as deep and as rich of an experience uh, just in terms of, you know, making you know, making these, uh, you know, heresies ties, uh, in the book, but I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to getting into, uh, Revenge of the Sith, which we'll do, um, in a future episode, uh, too, but, um, yeah, I think that was, that was kind of my bigger struggle with it, is, uh, it seemed like a lot of it was a little bit thinner, um, and a little bit more reaching kind of in this section, but I think a lot of that, like I said, had to do with the fact that, you know, these are the same characters, so, you know, kind of those parallels, um, had already been made in the first section. Yeah, and... I think, like, my favorite 
heresy was the one about midichlorians in the force and uh mm-hmm. to this day like i will go to the gates and defend midichlorians you know like because i just think they're so fascinating but um it's because you have a high midichlorian count yeah you know that's why um but you know attack of the clones a big part of it was the love story so it starts off with a uh, Chapter 10, The Love, and Mm -hmm. we have this quote from Anakin. Attachment is forbidden. Possession is forbidden. Compassion, which I would define as unconditional love, is central to a Jedi's life. And I think that's like one of the best quotes in all of the Star Wars, you know? Better Mm -hmm. for being in Attack of the Clones, you know, but... I think that's like what the the love story is what people had the biggest problem with in the prequel trilogy probably other than mm-hmm. like CGI which uh as we're talking we released an episode on CGI today uh so you can listen to that but yeah it's interesting what did you think about the love story in Attack of the Clones yeah, I thought that the love story was good. I mean, obviously that, um, you know, if you're telling a story about, you know, Anakin Skywalker and how it ties into, you know, the the fall of Anakin Skywalker becoming Darth Vader, and obviously we know from the original trilogy that he um, has uh, has these twins, right, Luke and Leia. So there has to be some sort of love story, right? There has to be some sort of <laughs> way that he had uh, Luke and Leia. So the love story was inevitable. Um, I mean, I can kind of get on board if people, you know, don't like it because the the writing is you know maybe maybe not the best or you know the um the way that it's presented maybe is not the best you you know uh you and i look at it and uh we can kind of see maybe kind of the inspirations that lucas was you know taking and and sort of you know telling kind of this more more courtship of a of a love story but you know certainly if you know if you weren't jiving with that i could understand why people might have uh been reluctant to accept it and you know the the book here um talks about that uh quite a bit in the section of just you know being kind of this instance of a forbidden love more of like a romeo and juliet uh type of a love story than you know what you would think of as like a in a more modern like romantic tale yeah I mean, we've kind of talked about how maybe Attack of the Clones killed love in Star Wars. Like, they're like, we're just not doing that. And if we do love, it's going to be more like the Han Leia stuff. Uh, but, like, mm-hmm. I'm someone who loves love, so I, I'm kind of sad. But no matter what I think, uh, you know, like, the love story in Attack of the Clones was, like, one of the most heavily criticized aspects of the film... Um, I don't know if it was, like, a problem of writing, directing, or just the execution, but it's Anakin and Padme's more stylized, like you said. Like, it's kind of like Romeo and Juliet, Tristan and his old Lancelot mm-hmm. and Guinevere, rather than that kind of, like, uh, I don't know, like, His Girl Friday, that, um, that kind of banter that Han and Leia have, um... So it's kind of more formal. Like, I think, like, Attack of the Clones is the first instance I ever heard the word milady. And it was like, why are they saying that so much? But I think they <laughs> right. were just trying to 
harken back to that uh, kind of medieval love story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I, I kind of liked that sort of parallel that it drew and then um, also kind of the, the parallel with like, um, you know, the kind of the, the troubadour uh, trope, which is um, kind of something that you see in Anakin, you know, literally kind of kind of singing the the love and the, you know, uh, praise of um, Padme, which is something that happens, you know, kind of throughout the, the whole of the prequel trilogy, but especially especially here as he's, you know, kind of professing his undying love to uh, anyone that's uh, willing to listen to it until Padme herself is willing to listen to it, um, you know, which we kind of talked about in our Heroes uh, Journey episode here on Attack of the Clones. But I, I kind of liked, um, you know, thinking of, of Anakin as not, you know, this... I don't know, kind of a teenager that is professing his love so much as thinking of it more as like a troubadour. I don't, I don't really see that, but you know, if you, if you put that in front of me and I'm like, okay, I can, I can get behind that, I guess. Yeah. I mean, here we are cashing in on our first Joseph Campbell quote of the episode, but. All right. I'm quoting. We should have a counter. Yeah. As Joseph Campbell has noted in courtly love, the man goes crazy, not the woman. And I was like, you know what? I think that does kind of uh, track true, you know, in Attack of the Clones. Because it's like Anakin has no chill. And he's definitely the one who, like, because he loved Padme and couldn't lose her, like, the galaxy was transformed from a republic into an empire, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and there for was sure. There was another detail I kind of liked. Um so I'll quote the, the book. If anyone is looking for a direct link between Attack of the Clones and the world of Dante and medieval romance, Padme's former suitor's name is tellingly Paolo. This neatly references the tragic lovers of Paolo and Francesca, who Dante encounters in one of the circles of the Inferno. I believe they are in Circle 2, or is that one? It's Lust? Um... And I'll Mm. continue quoting them, but Francesca was reading the story of Guinevere and Lancelot with Paolo, who was her husband's brother. The two were so swept up in the tale of forbidden love that they passionately wrote one of their own. Uh, And it's interesting because you see, like, Paolo and Francesca, like, there's sculptures of them by multiple artists. There's paintings of them, so... Uh, if you go to an art museum and you go to like a classical um, like section or wing you're probably going to see something based off of them mm-hmm. yeah absolutely I thought that that part was interesting and um, a, a lot of these instances you know kind of within the book and what we know about uh, you know George Lucas and uh, the way that he would you know kind of tap into those stories that's where a lot of these names come from uh we're going to get to one a little bit later here when we talk about uh, naboo itself but yeah i think that the stuff like that is really interesting and in kind of the naming conventions for these characters and planets uh within star wars yeah and i love this quote at the end of the section in a film dominated by procreation with entire armies of droids being built or clones being grown It is the simple union of two people beside a lake on Naboo that eventually determines the fate of the galaxy. Aww. Yeah. 
that's that's pretty nice that's pretty nice you could put that up on like a like a tapestry there if they would have lived happily ever after but unfortunately yeah. that's not the case that's not the case yeah so then chapter 11 is the teacher and for some reason like i just don't vibe with the heresies on obi-wan um mm, maybe what i'm same. most interested in is his uh his revenge of the sith heresies yeah cuz um in the the phantom menace section the obi-wan stuff was uh, was a little bit thin uh there and this section for me uh the teacher um was really thin as well uh kind of the chapter just served as a retelling of obi-wan's story uh throughout the film uh which um which you know wasn't was I, it was fine to to read, but it wasn't anything like like above and beyond that too much. It talks a little bit about um, Obi Wan learning kind of these Zen lessons uh, from like the kids at the the Jedi Council and uh, how he has friends in the galaxy like uh, Dex from Dex Steiner. But uh, that was that was about it. That was about the <laughs> the long and short of what I took out of the chapter. Yeah, I guess uh, there could be a message like. Obi-Wan learns from Dex, and he learns from the Jedi younglings, you know? Like, you can never really predict where wisdom will come from. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I think uh, looking forward to the heresies of Revenge of the Sith, like, I think there's more uh, for us to kind of get into there. And also, like, if there was ever a heresies of Kenobi... Uh, just kind of mm. like in between episodes three and four, like I think that's when uh, Obi-Wan does a lot of his growing. Yeah, for sure, in the way that he's going to be kind of represented in that way. And I think that, yeah, like you said, re the Revenge of the Sith section will be uh, much better in terms of, of kind of fleshing out the, the most mythological uh, portions of Obi-Wan's story. Because like I said, in the, in the first one and in The Phantom Menace, you know, Obi-Wan is a very, very secondary of a character, um, much more a major character. And in, in this one, we actually uh, kind of included him as the, uh, you know, half of the, the main hero of our hero's uh, journey uh, episode on Attack of the Clones. Um, but, you yeah, know, not a lot, not a lot of, um, not a lot of good links um, in this section for me. Yeah. So, Brian, chapter 12, The Learner, can you... Can you quote that quote at the beginning in, like, your most petulant voice? The quote at the beginning in my most petulant quote. Yeah. I will be the most powerful Jedi ever, I promise you. I will even learn to stop people from dying. Uh, that was pretty good. That was pretty good, I think. That was um, excellent. Like, <laughs> replace Hayden Christensen, you know. Get him out of it. No, I, I'm there. saying that jokingly. Get I actually love Hayden <laughs> Christensen's portrayal, so. Oh. Oh, well, uh, shot through the heart. That's okay. That's okay. Hayden is uh, much better uh, than I am at being uh, angsty. Uh, that's for sure. Um, that's kind of the big thing that you take away from uh, this section right here, right? Is it, it tells a lot of, um, you know, kind of these links to like um, tales of like biblical wrath in terms of uh, dealing with like the Tuscan Raiders and uh, his response to kind of these visions. Um, I like uh kind of ties into uh balder from uh, norse mythology and you know having kind of these uh very very downer of visions uh that anakin does so i kind of liked that um those kind of ties uh we're kind of back in in full swing here on our uh heresies uh for the book i thought um here in anakin's section yeah i kind of i don't know anakin i kind of wonder if like audiences like 
you know, have kind of been hearing about Anakin since like 77 and throughout the 80s and had a whole lot of time to kind of imagine what he was going to be like. And then the prequels came and then he's a nine-year-old kid in the first one. And then in the second one, like, it's kind of like, he's not really like Luke, the traditional hero, kind of like King Arthur or a fairy tale hero. It's kind of like, he's just moody you know like I said he's kind of like Achilles you know and it's like he has like this this large destiny of like bringing balance to the force but he's just kind of like uh I guess you could say he's similar to James Dean you know in Rebel Without a Cause and I wonder if there's ever been anything Star Wars titled Rebel without a cause or rebel with a cause because i mean like so many of them are rebels mm. like they're just yep. sitting on that pun and, and if they haven't done anything with that that's actually kind of tragic but um yeah that's right uh yeah absolutely they should be doing that so i have to look through the uh star wars rebels uh titles for their episodes and see if they ever uh leaned into that a little bit because that would be good that's uh, that's too good to pass up on yeah I'm just pouring some vanilla Coke with vanilla creamer. So if you can hear that, that's why. Um, Excellent. Stay hydrated out there. It's hot. And I have water and chocolate milk too. So I have like so many things. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of funny because I think people forget how much Luke whines and like Anakin whines, you know. Um, and... I just think it's a it's an interesting chapter because I, I've always loved Anakin and I've always kind of loved that the prequels are like a tragic trilogy because it doesn't end with like, you know, Luke is like, Luke says at the end of like Re Return of the Jedi, like, I'm a Jedi like my father before me, you failed your highness, you know, like at the end of... Mm -hmm. uh, the prequel trilogy, not to jump too far ahead, he turns into Darth Vader, you know? Um, but I guess, like, in some ways, when we were talking about our uh, hero's journey of the prequel trilogy, it's kind of like, I think it's kind of like Anakin's story is sort of done, you know, when he loses his mother, uh, mm -hmm. the rest is pretty much written, you know, like, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. You could definitely make the argument that that is pretty much the stop of the development of Anakin Skywalker and kind of the birth of the development of Darth Vader. So yeah, you can certainly uh, look at it in that sense, I think. Yeah. And they kind of go on to say like, Anakin is kind of like, I guess like, kind of like, godly a potential godly figure in the prequels but he's kind of just stuck like being like a vengeful deity you know like that's not really improving the lives of people like he massacres the tuscan village you know and as the chapter went on it i'm quoting uh, the book, and it says, Death is perhaps the origin and foundation of all mythology. And it talks about uh, the world's oldest story, the Epic of Gilgamesh. Um, 
in this myth, Gilgamesh is the Mesopotamian king of Uruk, and he has to launch into a series of adventures which will make him a better, less egotistical ruler. And kind of like at the conclusion of uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, and I have yet to fully read it uh, in totality, but I, I'm mm -hmm. working on it. But it's like the oldest story ever found they're grappling with the question of mortality and death and like we're still grappling with it you know and i i did kind of see some parallels with the prequel trilogy and in some ways i don't know what people wanted with anakin and the prequel trilogy but maybe it wasn't like a forbidden love story in which you know like the hero has to deal with loss and love and death, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, I guess you know, looking looking back on it in in hindsight, if you're looking to tell the stories of the prequels, you can either tell it the way that uh, George Lucas told it here as kind of this this rise and and fall and this tragedy of a story, or you can just have it be a bunch of uh, hallway scenes with Darth Vader and then he shows up on the <laughs> Tanif floor at the beginning of uh, A New Hope, which um, unfortunately I think is uh, what some people might have might have wanted but i i think that you know the story that we got and you know kind of looking at this uh character from you know being you know having the, you know the innocence of a child and and growing up and uh, kind of what that means and um you know then the the pressure and the the speculation of being the chosen one and then this ultimate uh sort of tragic fall i think is you know far more interesting in terms of a story yeah so chapter 13 13 is kind of like seen as an unfortunate number. This one is about the senator. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. It's about Padme Amidala. It took me many years to kind of figure out the whole twist of the Phantom Menace and like be like, but her name's Padme when she's a queen and a handmaiden. And then like also a senator, like... Yeah, so I don't know if you had trouble with that or just were smart from the very beginning, but <laughs> um, it, it it is interesting because I think, like, people have said a lot of things about the prequels and kind of rewritten them, but I, I like the prequels we got, but I think, like, the main thing I'm kind of disappointed by is Padme in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. I kind of just wonder if, like, Lucas had gotten some help with the writing. Um, mm -hmm. She could have been more uh, of a character with, like, kind of more of an arc uh, rather than just falling, you know, in love and kind of being acted upon. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Because I mean, as as a character, and I mean, you know, uh, we all we all love Padme. We all, you know, kind of love uh, her books and, you know, kind of then, you know, the telling of her stories uh, more so in the Clone Wars, although I think there probably could have even been uh, more of that in there as well. Um, you have her set up as this queen figure and then and then the senator. So, you know, very two, um, you know, appointments of, you know, uh, very important uh, roles for a character, but then um, basically is just 
sidelined then, um, especially here um, in the role of senator, right? We don't see her doing hardly any uh, senatorial uh, things throughout the uh, the course of her time as a senator, um, you know, just seen more as this uh, object of affection for for Anakin. And I mean, you know, the story has to go that way a little bit, you know, like we'd mentioned kind of at the at the top there in the love story, you know, obviously this needed to be a love story, but uh, her story within the three films did not have a lot of agency, more so I think in the first one in The Phantom Menace, I think, you know, uh, more so. Uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely here in, in this one, um, you know, is kind of absent from, from her role as a senator. Um, and even kind of in this section of the book here in the Heresies, uh, book, you know, it, it talks about Naboo, um, took its name from the Babylonian God of wisdom. And that quote even refers to her as being the queen, you know, which she wasn't the queen, um, at this point, uh, in the films. Uh, so that might've been a, a better inclusion for the Phantom Menace section. Um, and then it goes on to talk about the artistry of Naboo and how it's this kind of beautiful place, but it doesn't really talk about her. And I think that part of the reason for that is because she's almost, like I said, she, she's this, uh, this angel, uh, character for, uh, Anakin Skywalker, right? She's, she's a senator, but she's not participating in the Senate. So really all she's doing is just being there to be an object of affection for Anakin Skywalker in this film. Yeah. In some ways I'm like, should she have been a senator in episode one? I don't know. In some ways, like, uh, the way the prequel trilogy is set up, in some ways, I would like a movie in between one and two, and that's a heresy in itself, probably. Uh, but mm -hmm. it seems like a lot of um, Padme's political scenes in Attack of the Clones and especially Re Revenge of the Sith were cut out. Um, so, yeah but <laughs> yeah yeah unfortunately like like i said i mean we get, we have supplemental material that's that's amazing the uh the padme uh books um are really really great and then you know kind of the the storylines we saw uh within clone wars were were nice as well but yeah within within the confines of the films if that's what you're analyzing then um it's it gets a little bit a little bit thin there out of like a little bit more agency uh for uh padme I did like this note at the end of the chapter, like, uh, tellingly, the scene was slightly altered after the original release of the film, with Lucas ensuring Padme takes not only Anakin's real hand in hers, but his new artificial one as well. Because mm -hmm. I think, like, sometimes, like, Star Wars works better when it's silent, you know, and it's, like, kind of just these images, and it's, like, as imperfect as the love story was executed, like, it it does kind of hit some of those, like, tragic love notes and, like, kind of, like, it's not meant to be psychologically real. It's more like a tragic fairy tale, you know? And it's, like, mm -hmm. so I like that part. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, from that stance, then, it does, it falls into the you know, kind of this, uh, leaning into the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker, which, which is good, which is good. Um, but yeah, I think that the, the character, uh, herself could have been a little bit more fleshed out. Yeah. So I remember chapter 14, the hunter on Django Fett Lake being like 30 pages long, but <laughs> it it's long. not, but like, <laughs> I mean like 30 pages in a good way. Like it was oh. blowing my mind. Mm. Um, because this was written pre the Mandalorian, you know, like Disney Plus was was not even imagined when this was written. You know, I think it came out uh I think 
2013. Um, but it just made me think of the Mandalorian and Din. What about you? Yeah, you definitely see kind of a lot of, uh, parallels and things that it took into the Mandalorian and the way, because kind of the bulk of this, this section kind of almost similar to, um, kind of Obi-Wan section is it's kind of just telling the story here of Jango Fett, but it, um, places a lot of importance as, you know, Jango Fett being this hunter type of a character, uh, which sometimes I saw the parallels with, sometimes I didn't, um, but I thought that it was really neat, uh, kind of analog to, um, examine Jango Fett as kind of this classical, um, mythological, uh, telling of a hunter type of a character. Um, and I really liked then kind of the, the symbolism of, you know, that, uh, Jango Fett's face and, you know, a facelessness with the helmet was going to go on to, you know, serve as, you know, the hunter here, um, in the section of Obi-Wan, but then to be the ally to Obi-Wan, uh, within the clone troopers themselves. And I thought that that was pretty interesting. Yeah, because masks and armor, they, we see, like, masks and armor in so many civilizations all over the world. Like, when you go to a museum, like, it's just so cool to see masks and armor from all over the world. And, I mean, like, kind of going back to, uh, I mean, like, Paleolithic caves, you know, like, so much was done with masks, you know, and, like, sometimes they had, like, ritual significance with, like, religion, and they also, uh, are used in battle, uh, in ceremonies and everything, and maybe I'm just a nerd, and I'm like, ooh, they're talking about armor, because, like, when I, like, go to museums, I'm like, oh! They have sword exhibits, they have armor exhibits, and they have helmets on display. But, um, I, just like when I was reading this, I was like, the, Joseph Campbell was quoted so much, and like, you know, like, basically if anyone says Joseph Campbell and, like, takes him seriously, I'm like, ooh, I'm intrigued, you know, uh, right. but... I was just kind of amazed that in 2013, like, someone was kind of thinking these thoughts, and it kind of seems like they they took snippets from, like, Jango Fett, like, we saw Jango Fett, like, be a father to Boba, you know, and, like, we have Din and Grogu and the importance of masks and armor and Beskar, you know? So, mm-hmm. it just kind of seemed like... uh this this chapter was a link between Attack of the Clones and the Mandalorian. Yeah, it, absolutely. It did a <clears throat> it painted a really good good picture. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we we talk about Knights of the Old Republic and uh, Candorus, and you get to see a lot of Mandalorians in there. But um, you know, kind of until Attack of the Clones, we didn't really know um, anything about the Mandalorians or anything anything like that. And I guess even if you just watch Attack of the Clones, you still don't get like a ton of it really you know um you get to see kind of his interactions uh with boba fett you get to see him with his jetpack and all of his kind of uh gadgets there on uh camino and and um the geonosis arena uh there um so to kind of tell this chapter of the story kind of in this way where you're drawing these parallels you know kind of with this uh mythological uh hunter type of a character i thought was uh was really interesting and then yeah definitely uh kind of leads into uh kind of the same 
sort of thing, yeah, like that we're seeing in The Mandalorian now. Yeah. So what did you think of uh, Chapter 15, The Count, on Count Dooku? Um, I thought that the chapter on the Count was pretty good. Um, I really like Count Dooku as a character. I find Count Dooku uh, more and more interesting every little bit that we learn about him, and every time I kind of think about Count Dooku as a character. Um, I like that um, he drew kind of this... um, this parallel here with the first noble truth, which is suffering, uh, which is meant to represent um, idealism, which got me thinking back to um, our episode that we did with uh, Gabe Young uh, back there talking um, about uh, different. Yeah, exactly. Um, talking about uh, different religious aspects there of uh, Star Wars. So I thought that that was interesting. Um, there were a couple things in this um, chapter, though, that. I don't know. I, they were interesting, uh, for sure, but um, I didn't really know how they fell into the um, the realm of uh, the Attack of the Clone story, uh, because it talks about a cutscene uh, where Jocasta News is talking about the 21 Lost Jedi. Uh, that's not really in the movie, so um, it, 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 is, it a, is it a link? Yes, but no, <laughs> not technically, I guess. Um, um, and then it also talks about a, a, the Night Sisters arc in the Clone Wars, which, again, kind of the same thing. Um, but that's at least something that actually made it um, into media. Um, so I thought that those were, were kind of weird. Um, interesting. I still thought that they were interesting, but I didn't know like how much to put into those, like I said, because they weren't actually you know, part of this film section that I'm reading about. Yeah. I found this part, I'm quoting the book, in the novelization R.A. Salvatore, provides even more background when Obi-Wan ruminates on Count Dooku's finely chiseled bust. Yes, Obi-Wan had seen this kind of intensity in Qui-Gon on occasion, but what he knew of Dooku was that unlike Qui-Gon, the man had never been able to shut it off, Salvatore writes. The lights in his eyes were ever-burning fires. In other words, he was a Jedi unable to yield to the wisdom of the Force and more concerned with imposing his own will in his own time because I I find it so interesting that like Dooku was Qui-Gon's master and they had a lot in common but they kind of went to opposite sides of the force like I think like Qui-Gon exemplified the best of what a Jedi should be and Mm -hmm. I think for all of uh, Dooku's noble intentions he fell to the dark side and what did you think of the part where it was talking about, like, Count Dooku was being honest with uh, Obi-Wan on Geonosis? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that I like that um, uh, to an extent for sure, because, you know, kind of the more we learn about Count Dooku is that, you know, Count Dooku was not really doing this for, you know, doing what he did for nefarious reasons. He was really doing it. Um, you know, because from him, his perspective, you know, that was the right course to take, right? The Jedi had lost their way. Um, he was trying to do his best to, you know, preserve the galaxy. So I think that, um, yeah, within the film and uh, what we, you know, he talks about here in this, uh, the Heresies book, um, that that makes a lot of sense, that what he was telling Obi-Wan was exactly true. Um, not even from a certain point of view, but definitely from uh, from Count Dooku's view, uh, which then... Um, left me kind of wondering here in this last um, kind of section here of this chapter, um, he quotes Alan Watts, who says that uh, Dooku lays a trap for the world 
in which he himself gets caught, um, which is, which is kind of true. He gets he gets caught up in what he had done, but I don't think when when you say that he lays a trap, that makes what Count Dooku did sound more nefarious than what I think he was attempting to do. Um, in a way. Yeah, I mean, there's that saying like the path to hell is paved with good intentions, and I think Count Dooku had good intentions, mm-hmm. but. Uh, no matter what his original motives, uh, they they say in the end of the chapter, Count Dooku lost himself in his own quest for more and more power in the end. And then, I don't want to spoil, you know, Revenge of the Sith, but, um, yeah. Not, not great for you, Count. Sorry about that. Chapter 16, The Separatists. Do you think Count Dooku and, like, the Separatist movement should have been in episode one or hinted um, at? I think I think definitely Count Dooku should have been. You know, when we talked about that, when we talked about yeah. you know, the Hero's Journey bit of Attack of the Clones, is, um, that unfortunately you don't get uh, enough time, I don't think, with Dooku, you no. know, within, within the confines of the film to really understand him or his motivations um you know which was which is why i said you know kind of the more we learn about dooku you know within you know like the books like dooku jedi lost and uh what we just got with tales of the jedi and um you know other stuff you know it gets more and more interesting kind of the more you learn about him because in the film you don't learn that much about him uh so it would have been really nice to at least kind of plant a seed with that or to have um Maybe there was a way to work in the 21 Lost Jedi into The Phantom Menace, or if that was even an idea that uh, Lucas had when he wrote The Phantom Menace, or if that came later. Um, you know, because, you know, looking back on it, it would have been really kind of easy, you know, when you know, Qui-Gon takes Anakin to the to the Jedi Council and they're saying that he's too old to begin. You know, look what happened <laughs> to the Lost 21. Uh, that would have been good, right? And then we would have known um, at least who Count Dooku was, or at least that he was one of these uh, kind of you know, lost uh, Jedi, Jedi that lost their way. Um, so going into it, when he just kind of sprouts up and we're like, who is this guy and why is he important? Uh, that would have been nice. Yeah. It's funny because the more, like, I kind of learn about the political story of the prequels, I think some people, like, when in, when they came out, like, were like, politics are so dumb, you know? Like, what relevance does this have on like our lives and it's like and then kind of just like you know kind of seeing the results of like 9-11 and the war on terror and like the elections of like 2016 and um just the rise of other political figures around the world it's like oh that's what relevance they have on our lives, you know? And those are probably the same people that are saying right now that Star Wars has never been political. Political. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Even though it's it's kind of not. Um, there's this quote that says the prequels bring this point powerfully home as Padme and other honest defenders of democracy are crushed under a tidal wave of corporate callousness and institutional indifference. And it's like. I don't know. Sometimes, like, the real world can be crushing because, um, 
everything can be a system, you know, and mm-hmm. that can be a sure. good or bad system. And I mean, we have systems in place because like theoretically they help us help each other more, but sometimes like it's just, you know, indifference, you know, it's like this is the way it is, so things can't be better, you know, so it's kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, and I was going to read kind of this section. We've moved on into uh, the section about the separatists, I believe, right? Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, so this is a quote by a science writer, Stanley Rice, um, outlines this impasse. Uh, Individual humans may want to create peace, but governments often want war. Individual humans may want to be unselfish, but unselfish individuals are beaten down by corporations. Individuals may want to reduce the devastating impact of the human species on the planet, but their efforts are swamped by collective greed and waste. Um, and I think that that is a really good quote and kind of a really good, um, you know, connection to make here. Um, and talking about the separatists, which um, kind of the section is almost more just about kind of the, the politics of the galaxy as, as a whole. It's not, you know, specifically about the separatists, I don't think. Um, but I, I think that that's good, and that's kind of a, a theme that we got, um, you know, kind of there in the tail end of, of the prequels and Attack of the Clones and into Revenge of the Sith, and we're definitely getting it now and stuff like, um, you know, Andor, and even even something like uh, Boba Fett, right, is, or the Book of Boba Fett, that, you know, there are, there are heroes on both sides, right? Not everyone um, is out to do uh, good that's on the side of alleged good. Not everyone's out to do bad on the side of alleged bad and I, I liked that that quote right um so you could be operating within yourself from a place of good um but not necessarily be on the side of good um and i kind of i kind of like that uh, juxtaposition um and that's kind of the gist of what uh this section goes on to to talk about um it also talks about the the darth bane uh, trilogy of books and the darth plagueis uh, novel and making some ties into there which doesn't have anything to do with attack of the clones but i thought that, that was kind of interesting inclusion too yeah, I mean, it, it brings to mind the opening crawl for Revenge of the Sith, like, war, there are heroes on both sides, evil is everywhere. Um, yeah, it, it's just so poetic and so true. Like, for me, like, the opening crawl text is the best in Revenge of the Sith, like, because it it's poetic and hits on those truths, you know? Um, but it, the chapter ends with, a, a quote from the poetry of William Blake, who is a poet, like I'm familiar with, but like he put out so many poems, like I can't possibly, uh, have read them all, but, it's my goal to read them all, and he illustrated his poems, so, like, good for you, William Blake. So, I'll quote this quotation. When nations grow old, the arts grow cold, and commerce settles on every tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a really um, kind of nice end piece there to um, the section here on the separatists and the, the politics. Um, and it kind of reminds me of that sentiment you get in The Last Jedi there with uh, with DJ, you know. They they get on that ship there coming off of uh, uh, Canto Bite, right? And it's an arms dealer. And, you know, uh, he said, you know, basically it's that same kind of thing, right? Um, is that uh, commerce now, right? The, the selling of weapons has become more important than the people that wield them. So, 
It reminds me of a quote from Pirates of the Caribbean 2. I think it's called Dead Man's Chest, but um, you have Elizabeth kind of questioning. I think it's Lord Beckett, and he says... I think it's like loyalty is not the currency of the realm. And she's like, what is the currency of the realm? And he's like, currency is the currency of the realm. And <laughs> I just thought it was really funny. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. The for early sure. 2000s, man. Like, there were some That's really right. good movies coming out then. So That's right. Early 2000s were, were full of hits. That's for sure. That's for sure. Okay. Chapter 17, The Chancellor, can you... Uh, this is just the episode where you're going to do a lot of voice <laughs> acting, but can you kind of do your best Ian McDermott uh, with that quote? Oh, uh, let's see. It is with great reluctance that I have agreed to this calling. I love democracy. I love the Republic. Yeah, I think the best executed character of the Pretty prequel good. trilogy. Yeah, you did excellent. Oh. Uh, yeah, I would give you, you an Oscar, you, you know. Um, yes. Yeah. I accept. Yeah. <laughs> it is with great, you're supposed to, you could have said, like, it is with great reluctance that I have uh, agreed to take this Oscar because oh. there are so many more deserving. Um, but... You sounded like Helen Mirren. That would be good. <laughs> Helen Mirren would be an excellent uh, Palpatine, though, on a side. Yeah, note. yeah. Make her Kraya. I used to be <laughs> like, I'd be like, is that too obvious? But I'm like, you know what? She's great. Like, make her Kraya. Uh, I hope she can ice skate, you know. Um, That's right. She could learn. The, She's amazing. I hope our listeners understand what we're talking about. But anyways, um, yeah, the best executed character in all of the prequel trilogy in my mind is definitely Palpatine. Mhm. Mm yeah, absolutely. Um and in this film and in the whole of the prequel uh trilogy, uh Qui-Gon was executed uh really well as well, I think, but yeah, definitely uh definitely Palpatine here um playing the the chancellor is uh is really really good. And this section does a pretty good job. Again, it's kind of just outlying um, you know, kind of kind of the story here through Attack of the Clones for uh the Chancellor, but um there's a really neat well, not neat, it's really kind of terrible, um, uh, a parallel that it draws to uh, 1933 uh, Germany and the creation of the Enabling Act, which basically uh, allowed uh, Hitler and uh, his cabinet to basically make any law that they wanted, uh, which is pretty much what uh, Chancellor Palpatine is doing here um, in this film. So a real-life uh, parallel, you know, within, um, you know, not... not yours and mine lifetime but definitely uh people's lifetimes uh here with us on the planet so that's uh um pretty chilling stuff and you know a really good parallel uh that was drawn here to uh this section by by lucas and uh kind of um you know highlighted here in this book yeah and kind of the prequel trilogies kind of like brought to my attention just the patterns of rise of empire because you can kind of see them with ancient rome and i mean later in the year we're going to get the movie napoleon you know and like napoleon uh kind of took uh, a republic and uh turned it into an empire and uh you can make arguments that uh 
the original and prequel trilogies. Um, well, actually, Lucas has even come out and said it, you know, uh, later on that it was inspired by Nixon and um, uh, the Vietnam War, and uh, people see the parallels with, um, you know, like the war on terror and how certain leaders have, uh, you know, handled that. So it, it's kind of just like a pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ex- exactly. It is a, it is a pattern. Um, and it kind of goes through how that, that pattern works and repeats itself kind of, kind of through this thing as the chancellor's, you know, um, you know, very much with that quote that, that I open with, right. Is, uh, you know, Oh, you know, what was me, but I guess I will, I will do it. And that was a big thing that, uh, Luke's kind of talked about here when, uh, writing up the politics for it is that a politician or a good politician, you know, goes in, does their job and then, and then leaves they don't stay around because that's that's not uh doing doing politics or working for the people anymore that's you know kind of pursuing your own uh sort of agenda then at that point and then you know makes those kind of connections to uh to nixon and watergate and stuff like that so yeah i thought that that stuff was was really good and uh the book does a good job here of um you know kind of all those times that it gets churned back up um for the chancellors he's able to work his way there and get uh poor jar jar on the hook to uh to declare him ruler of the the whole thing yeah and it even kind of talks about like how palpatine manipulates anakin and like in some ways i'm like did that raise like zero red flags you know that uh yeah i wish qui-gon had survived but um it's kind of like he's the devil you know and we see that um even more in episode three but like it's kind of like you have this like this like potential like messiah of the force like and how patine is just kind of like um whispering in his ear like saying like you're the best jedi ever you're better than yoda you know like kind of just like giving him a whole lot of false confidence and i i don't know I think, like, Lucas is kind of done talking about Star Wars for the main, like, for, in the, for the most part, but, like, I just kind of, there should be a book on Palpatine, like, maybe from, like, a psychological point of view, like a book of essays, um, Mm -hmm. or, like, you know, Skywalker, a family at war, like, Palpatine, it could be like this is how mm-hmm. I did it, you know. Like, imagine. Yeah, that would be that would be really cool to um, to go in and uh, tell a little bit more of that tale or look at it more, um, you know, scholastically speaking. Yeah, it would be like up there with Kreia. Okay, this isn't in the heresies, but what do you think would happen like if Palpatine and Kreia met? <laughs> Uh, oh, I don't know. Um, Kreia has, uh, her little three lightsabers that fly around, so that would be good if they got into a fight, I guess. Um, I don't know, because they're both, they're both very much master manipulators, so, so I don't know. It would either be they would join forces and, uh, you know, completely just dominate the whole thing, or, uh, they wouldn't be able to stand each other, um, and, you know, be the, be the ultimate downfall of the other. Yeah, that would be such a cool uh, fan film to see. 
uh, Korea versus Palpatine. Um, mm. mm-hmm. What would what would Palpatine say? Like, I am the Senate, and like, I don't know. Maybe Kraya would say apathy is death. You know. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'd want sure. them to yeah. fall in love. No, just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm absolutely kidding. But yeah, that would that would be interesting. Um, <laughs> we're getting off on a on a tangent now. Maybe we'll have to explore this in a whole episode now. But I'm I'm kind of kind of thinking about the way that you know they each kind of taught their uh respective uh pupils so you have you know palpatine and uh anakin skywalker you have Kreia in the um the exile there and the and the way that that worked and um palpatine was really uh kind of this this teacher of using you know kind of false confidence and uh false bravado and working that way whereas uh Kreia, on the other hand was just like now nah, you're just gonna question everything you're you're not a hero or a villain you're totally ambiguous and just deal with it that is actually interesting um because in some ways when someone in some situations when someone tears you down and just like doesn't like you but like for some reason like the student wants to impress them to prove them wrong like sometimes Mm -hmm. like that can be a a motivator you know it's interesting um but yeah like the haunting quote from palpatine the power you give me i will lay down when this crisis has abated i don't know if that has ever happened in the history of politics except for like you know the legend of Cincinnatus I think Cincinnati um, mm-hmm. that's like the one time it maybe happened but well, I think I, uh, forgive my uh, lack of knowledge on uh, American history but that that's kind of what happened with George Washington oh, right duh. He, served, he served as the president <laughs> and then you know they basically demanded that he that he do it again and he's like okay and then and then left (laughs) in my mind i was thinking of them as the same person because um that actually that parallel was actually made like cincinnati and george washington um Mm. so yeah this is what happens when you have too much chocolate milk so yeah (laughs) that's right you're gonna have to have to switch over to the water now yep all right the sages 18 this is about uh, the Jedi Council, isn't it? It is about the Jedi Council um, and their and their failings. Uh, not really. I guess they don't really have uh, failings yet, but they have some inklings of failings. Um, and one of the kind of themes of this section here is it talks about uh, the Jedi and how they deal with their uh, hidden enemies. Um, and there's kind of a really good uh, little section here where, you know, basically they're they're talking Yoda and Mace Windu. Um, and, you know, they're, Mace is like, you know, we, if there's a Sith here, we should have uh, totally known that, right? And Yoda's like, uh, yeah, probably, but we can't let anyone know that we didn't know it because then we'll get more enemies. So in a way, they are, they're being kind of lackadaisical uh, with their inability to do their own job. Um which, which isn't great, which isn't great. It never really works out as well as you might think that it should. <laughs> um, so there's that. Um, you also have kind of the um, the stance even, you know, kind of very first thing in the in the film. I forget the exact quote, but Mace Windows says, you know, we're not, uh, you know, we're 
keepers of peace we're not uh soldiers something like that and that kind of ties into uh the christian theme of like putting down your sword um and not fighting so you know literally not taking uh their own advice from the beginning of the film at the end of the film when they're literally going to war yeah i mean there's some like people out there like i've talked to and they're they're smart people you know um but sometimes they say like how did yoda not know that palpatine was a sith lord and it's like they even kind of talk about it in the movies you know it's like the jedi council are just kind of like high in a tower think they know Mm -hmm. everything they're kind of close-minded not open-minded and they kind of keep it a secret because they don't want people to know that they have weaknesses and they were just kind of uh even though, like, I think Mace is a good person because he has a purple lightsaber and not a red one, uh, and Yoda's, like, a good mentor, he's not perfect, and they kind of learn in Revenge of the Sith that they were wrong, but in some ways that's, like, a good lesson to realize because, like, in Episode Five, Empire Strikes Back, like, Yoda's, like, one of the best mentors in all of cinema, you know, and mm-hmm. if Yoda can fail and learn from it, I think we can all fail and we can all learn. That's right. Failure, the best teacher is, uh, says Yoda uh, there in the, uh, the last Jedi. So that's, or no, in the rise of Skywalker. So uh, yeah, definitely a lesson, I guess maybe the, he finally learned, but he, you know, Yoda in attack of the clones was the one that really pushed back and was like, now we can't, we can't say anything. Um, and I guess we'll have to see how kind of the, the high Republic stories, uh, end up, end up going, but, you know, for the most part, um, none of the members of the Jedi council have ever had to deal with Sith. So how would they even know to recognize one if one, you know, walked in through the door and was like, Hey, um, I'm a bad guy. Are you sure? Uh, we don't really know for sure. So yeah, I think it, it's kind of interesting to look at that. Um, and I think that the Sage section here really kind of piggybacked really well off of the section from the Phantom Menace where it talks more about, you know, the Jedi kind of sitting in this ivory tower and then how that plays out. So I'm excited to see, uh, what, um, uh, McDonald has to say about the the Jedi Council as we get into Revenge of the Sith and Order sixty six and stuff. Do you think that in an alternate Revenge of the Sith, if um, Palpatine and Yoda fought in the Jedi Council chambers, and then like Yoda? when he was kind of defeated, fell out of the Jedi Council chambers from that great height, if maybe more people would have understood symbolically what was happening? Uh, maybe. Yeah, especially because, I mean, you get, obviously, you're, you're coming from the, the height there on the, on the Senate floor, um, and you get that, you know, kind of beautiful visual of, you know, Palpatine's, you know, desk or pedestal or whatever as it's kind rising. of rising up rising up through the floor but but really kind of the way that it's shot and edited you don't see yoda making this you know kind of huge fall right i mean he's he's kind of like hanging on to the side it makes that awful uh little like nails on the chalkboard uh sort of sound as he as he falls off of there but you don't get like you don't get like the big like like visual of there being like a a, like a very symbolic uh fall or fall from grace kind of a thing um so that could have been that could have been a little bit more um uh, visual, visually impactful, maybe, I guess is the yeah. way I'm trying to say. 
it's easy to be an armchair director and like they should have done this um true <laughs> but but to that uh you know to that end though i think that it was symbolic that it happened in you know kind of the senate chambers where um you know palpatine he was really rising rising to power and yoda had you know uh, not his power but the you know the jedi's power was was kind of lost there in that room so yeah I almost dove into part three for Revenge of the Sith, but maybe next time you can have me do some quotations. Uh, <laughs> That's right. So, so yeah, I, I like the book, and there are some chapters that are more engaging than others, but I think they're all worth reading and kind of worth thinking about. And I don't know, I, I kind of just wish that Star Wars had more scholarly books you know like on mm -hmm. the prequel trilogy and and the sequel trilogy so yeah 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 exactly so yeah if you have any good book recommendations out there uh definitely let us know because uh, uh cassie will read it and then tell me if i have to read it or not and that'll be good yeah. um and definitely make sure you check out uh, the star wars heresies um interpreting the theme symbols and philosophies of episodes one two and three by paul f mcdonald um it's a good read um like you said some of the some of the chapters are a little bit better than others or you know make more ties and things like that but it's still interesting to read through these stories in kind of a more analytical uh sense and how they tie to um tales of mythology tales of you know uh, religious tales um even you know kind of real world uh parallels that lucas was drawing from so i uh, definitely give it a read it's it's worth your time it's a pretty easy read even if it takes me forever uh to get through it that is not because the book is hard to get through it's because i am a slow reader but that's okay that's okay yeah and before we close i want to say that i know who cincinnati is uh and who george washington is so <laughs> That's, that's right that's right that's the the heresy of the the older public podcast for sure so uh thank you for joining us uh let us know if you have any good book recommendations we'll check them out and may the force be with you may the force be with you the older public podcast can be found on spotify apple podcasts google podcasts youtube as well as everywhere else that anchor podcasts are distributed subscriptions reviews and shares help us out and if you want to connect with the podcast on twitter we can be found at old republic pod and if you want to connect with me i can be found on instagram at astro underscore droid underscore you can find us on patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash old republic podcast our intro and outro themes were composed by dennis s mowers at dennis s mowers music.com this episode of the Old Republic Podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the Force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now.